parched and barren land, where the sun beats down with a merciless hand, there flows a stream so cool and so clear, a lifeline in a desert drear. It winds its way through the sandy plain with a gentle murmur, like a soothing refrain. A ribbon of life in a world so stark, a precious jewel amid the dark. The plants and creatures gather round as the water brings life to the dry, cracked ground. Birds dip their beaks and drink their fill, and the parched earth awakens with a thrill. The stream is a symbol of hope and grace, in a place where survival seems like a constant race. A reminder that even in the harshest climb, there is always a chance for life to shine. So let us treasure the streams in the desert and all the blessings they can confer, where they are a testament to the love of our Creator and the mercies that abound from His open hands. Well, the practice of the presence of God, not something that you would probably normally, a series you would probably see in a Baptist church. I don't know. I mean, that is kind of my thought as I think about this series. You know, growing up in a Baptist church, we never hardly ever talked about the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about Jesus and we talked about the Father a lot. And, and we, we may, you know, we, we're going to be challenged. I'm going to be challenged as we go through this series. And uh, so the practice of the presence of God over the next six weeks, we're going to dive deep into what it means to be intentional about living our lives in the presence of God. What does that mean? What does that look like? How does it apply to you as you go to school, as you go to your job, as, as you stay home, what, whatever it is that you do? We're going to see that, in fact, that, that living our lives in the presence of God is something that we can practice, uh, something that we can work on and get better at. And while at the same time, it is also something that will have an ebb and flow to it. Um, there will be times when we feel like we are in the presence of God. There will be other times when we don't really feel that way, but we need to remember and know that we still are. Um, there is ebb and flow in how God works, while at the same time, um, it is something that is not wholly based on what we do, but who and what God does, who God is himself. Of course, that is where the power comes from, just as Bob said. It, it's God who gives us life. And you know, that song says, uh, that song says that when, if we, it, maybe I'm mixing the two songs, but one of those songs that we just sang said that, that um, never mind, I just lost my train of thought. It was just right there. And I do. Well, it, it said something about us living forever, right? Which, and, and what, what was the line? Yeah. Yeah, so that we could live forever. But, but we're all going to live, yeah, okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. Yes, but I want to qualify that because if you don't believe in him, you will still live forever. You just won't live in, you, you just won't have eternal life. You just won't be in heaven with him forever. 
Um, every one of us is an eternal being. Uh, we were created that way. It's, it's who have we surrendered our life to as that eternal being. Um, of course, the power comes from God himself, and it is only when God reaches deep into our souls that we even have the possibility of being in his presence. But, but I'm finding that in my own life, in my own life, God is reaching, he's reaching, he's reaching, and I'm just not seeing it sometimes. I'm just not in it because I got all sorts of other things going on in my life. I'm distracted by this and that. I, I have put my attention to things that are fleeting and that will not last forever. Um, I, I don't even know what it would feel like sometimes to really be in the presence of God on a daily basis because I'm so distracted by all of these other things. You know, um, seriously, coming to church, uh, being here for an hour and a half or two hours like today might be, just kidding, um, maybe not. Um, the things that we do today, I would suggest that we have grown to be normal in our life I, I, I want to say there's more. There's more that, that we can receive from God himself if we would just be willing to take the time and, and take the right steps to drink. To drink. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but uh, I, I've been reading some books um, I, I've, I've seen stories in this books of how God manifested himself in people's lives through, through his actions and through their experiences, um, actions of healing and loving and forgiving. And, and the people who tell these stories describe an amazing experience. And let me add that practicing the presence of God is not walking around in some kind of mystical, supernatural fog. That's not it. And we shouldn't look for it to be that. Because God's presence is here with us every day, even in the mundane. The question is, are we practicing being in his presence? Um, this author I read, one of them, uh, he was a cook. I mean, this book was written a long, 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 long time ago. Brother Lawrence was a cook, and he talks about his experience of, of living uh, and practicing the presence of God as a cook, doing dishes, finding joy in doing dishes. Now, if I could do that, find joy in doing dishes, that would be a wonderful thing. He did as he practiced the presence of God, and this applies to every Christ follower. So, let's just say that I do take heed of what we're going to learn over the course of the next six weeks. Am I ready for it? Ask yourself that question. Am I ready to learn something different about how I relate to God and how God relates to me as I go through this series? Am I ready for it? What if God actually, what if you ask him to show up and he does? Are you ready for that? Are, do you even want that? Or would you rather just kind of live your life in, in the norm and the mundane and the routine? I don't want any surprises. I mean, look, we don't like change, right? None of us do. What if God actually did show up? Would, would I be willing to receive it? 
Would I see it for what it was? Would I be willing to take a step in such faith that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to walk through and shake me to my core? Am I ready for that? Am I willing to see and experience whatever it is that God wants me to see and experience? Are you? I I want you to answer that this morning. Or do we just want to live a life where there's no surprises, one where God acts and reacts and moves in ways that, that we think that he should, or we think that he does, or we think we define Now, being a Christ follower is more than a religion. It is a living and breathing relationship. Uh, Our connection to God through our faith in Jesus Christ is more than just a willful or mental acknowledgement of his existence. It is more than a verbal commitment or a profession that we believe. It is more than what could be recorded and signed in a legal document. It is more than just following, as best as we can, a long list of do's and don'ts. So what is it then? What is it then? We're going to investigate that over the next six Weeks. There's a curious passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I want you to turn there right now, if you would, please. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It is a, pas- it is a passage that is often read at weddings. I've read it many times at weddings, probably most of them. It is a passage that describes what a marriage relationship is supposed to look like. It is a passage that helps both husbands and wives succeed in their relationship with each other. And the curious thing about this passage is that it isn't just talking about marriage. Paul says things like, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So which is it, Paul? Are you talking about Christ and the church or are you talking about marriage? And I think his answer would be yes. Yes. Look at Ephesians 31, or chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Which, I might add, is a quote from the book of Genesis from the original wedding that happened on this earth. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul is talking about leaving. He's talking about cleaving. He's talking about loving. He's talking about respecting. He's talking about the church submitting to Christ, and he's talking about how Christ uh, loves the church. So the first point in your notes this morning is practicing the presence of God means leaving and cleaving. It means leaving and cleaving. God is very clear in marriage that a husband is to leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. He is to leave his past and cleave to his wife. Both are to let go of the way it used to be and embrace the way life will now become. In fact, when they covenanted their life to each other, they willfully and verbally sacrificed all that used to be for that which will now become. 
Okay, and everyone here today who has been married or who is married has experienced both successes and failures with this passage. And the depth of relationship, and in a very real way, being in the presence of God, uh, in being in the presence of each other on a daily basis, hinges on applying that leaving and cleaving command. And, and when we don't, when we don't leave and we don't cleave, and one, one of the uh, marriage couple runs back to mother or father, it creates problems, generally. Not in my household. Whenever my wife would run back to her mother, she was very fair and very balanced and sometimes would take my side. I loved my mother-in-law. <laughs> Some are not so much. Um, and, and when we don't leave and cleave, things can get pretty cold and they can get pretty dry in our marriages and in our families. Okay, but, I, but, but the, he's, I don't think he's just talking to, to married couples. This, this, this principle is true of any relationship. It takes more than just knowing things about a person to have a good relationship. I mean, let's take, for instance, the things early on when I was dating my wife, the things that I knew about her. She had green eyes. In fact, I didn't recognize it at, at first because I'm not that observant, but... She had green contacts, too, so they were extra green. Um, she worked at a, as a receptionist at a doctor's office. Uh, she was a friend of a friend. She lived with her mom. She had a daughter, who is now my own. And she had a not-so-fuzzy dog named Kuma. I wish she was here. Um, she attended church with her family here at North Hills. She had a brother who was the oldest, and she had three other siblings who were sisters. Uh, in my family, my sister is the oldest, and I have three other brothers. So just kind of the same, but not. Oh, and then her birthday and my birthday are on the same day. Different year. She would want me to point that out. She's three years younger than me. Um, but, but here's my question. Does knowing all of those things about my wife make our relationship strong? I, I say no. Now, that's a place to start. We, we do need to investigate and learn and know things. You know, if she asked me someday what color her eyes are and I can't tell her, I would be in trouble, for sure. I'd be, I should ask her, so did you like change contacts or something? You know. what, made, what made our relationship grow and deepen? Well, one of the things that made it grow and deepen were motorcycle rides where she sat on the back and we couldn't see each other and we talked about pretty deep things questions that i had about her and and you know how she was raised and what she believed about jesus and in the church and and tell me about your daughter and and lots of those things and and she asked me and you know she always said she'd never marry a pastor and she'd never marry a farmer and well i mean she kind of got both you know, they say never tell God something because he sort of looks at you and laughs and says, just watch. Um, we had conversations about relationships and marriage. We had conversations about what scared us. I mean, when, when you're single and you're thinking about committing to another person the rest of your life, there's lots of things to be scared about. 
Um, we, we talked about those, what, we, what, what we'd always hoped and dreamed about marriage and family, what kinds of activities we enjoyed serving. We talked about serving each other. She happily, she happily mowed my lawn one time when I was gone for a, a, a couple weeks to a retreat. I got back and there was this handwritten letter from her. I just read it once and put it in a drawer. No, that's a lie. Do you, remember, do you remember when you got a personal note from somebody that you were sweet on? Did you just read it once? Or did you read it over and over and over and you, you kind of picked it apart and you, what did they mean by this and what does this say about them? You know what, that's what we have right here. It's a love letter from God. And we don't just read it and put it down. <laughs> We, I want to know, I, I want to know things, and, and, it, and that takes commitment. It, 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 you know, there's all sorts of things that we talked about. Um, it took time. Time was the biggest thing. Hours and hours and hours talking and, and listening, and through the years, almost 30 years. And then I was told by Facebook the other day that I've been friends with my wife for 14 Almost been married 30. Well, it's a, I guess 14 out of 30 ain't bad. Uh, talking and listening and forgiving and giving forgiveness, touching each other, sharing desserts and food, except bacon. We don't share bacon. Well, at least I don't. I don't share bacon. There have been many times in the last 30 years where Sarah has said to me, you know, you need to be more present. You need to spend time with your kids. You need to pay attention to them and to me. Even when you're here, I remember her saying several times, even when you're physically here, it's like you're not even here. You're not even present. You're in the house, but you're somewhere else. Now, there's a lesson right there for all of us that would make our relationships, any relationship, better. When you're together, be present. Put, and this is just as hard as it is for you as it is for me, put the dang phone down and talk to each other. Um, now, that is exactly what I believe happens in our relationship with God when we don't leave and cleave. Our understanding of who God is and why he does what he does is shallow because we often just know a lot of things about God. We don't buckle down and try and really get to know who he is, to really know him, to know him in an intimate way. Um, our trust and faith in him is weak and barely existent. Our connection to him, the intimacy that can be experienced when we walk constantly in the presence of God, it's very thin because we have failed to truly know him and to humble ourselves before him so that we can be known. And I think this is common to all of mankind. It seems to be the norm instead of the exception. Instead of the exception. And I see the weaknesses in this area in, in my own life. And I'm hoping everyone here and those who aren't but are a part of North Hills will join me as, as in being challenged to practice the presence of God by leaving and cleaving. 
An amazing thing about the character of God is that he is so full of grace and mercy that he is constantly reaching out to us. He is constantly calling our names and giving us opportunities to respond to him, to draw near to him, to experience his presence in such a way that the dry and parched ground of our souls will take in moisture and sustenance and be brought to life. Peace and joy of life enter in. He's been at this for thousands of years. This isn't something new to God. Um, in, in, your, in your worship folder under the, the memory verse, it says Isaiah 49, 18 and 19. It's actually Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, God says this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. A part of practicing the presence of God is to daily drink and receive living water. Living water is available for our souls. We just need to drink it. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past, God says. The enemy would like to condemn you every day. He would like to knock you down and take you out to get you to dwell on your past mistakes and your former poor decisions. Every one of us have them. The enemy would like you to believe that you are beyond help, that God doesn't care. He doesn't care about you and that you aren't worth his time and effort. But that obviously isn't the truth because Psalm 103, 12 points out that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the enemy accuses you as a Christ follower, you need to tell him, look, I know what you're trying to do, and it's just not true. I'm a child of God. I am forgiven, and Jesus said, there is no condemnation. See, I am doing a new thing, God says. Now it springs up all throughout history. God has been working and living and dwelling with his people. He met Moses in a burning bush. I bet that was a crazy experience. He, uh, he met uh, Moses on a mountain. He led the Israelites through the wilderness as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He manifested his presence for centuries in the temple. In the Holy of Holies, uh, he commanded Israel to build this. First, they were to build it so that it could be hauled around the wilderness. God was present with them in their camp. And now the curtain has been torn in two and we have access to the presence of God every day, every second of every day. Are we drinking? Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. And I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is making a way for us. God is making a way for you. The wilderness, the Israelites were deep in the wilderness, wandering around at God's command and direction. We too seem to spend a lot of time in the wilderness. 
groping around often in the dark, it feels like, but he has promised to help us through. God will show us a way through. He'll show us a way through. This is a part of practicing the presence of God. He doesn't always take the pain away. He doesn't always remove it. Um, or give us a red carpet through the wilderness because there are things that we each need to learn. We need to learn lessons, and it seems like even when it comes to our bodies, we only learn lessons when we experience hard things. No pain, no gain. That's true not only physically, that's true mentally and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. He also doesn't remove all the temptations that come our way. Wouldn't that be nice? If we could just get up in the morning, go throughout our day, and end the day, and had no hard decisions to make, whether to obey him or not, or whether to follow him, or whether to be bold or whatever, it was just it's like a day on the golf course. The worst decision I had, the, the hardest decision I had to make was whether to use a five iron or a six iron. Well, when I'm golfing, it's usually the wrong decision. So that isn't even easy. You know, we saw this over the summer in Job's life. It was hard things. No, no temp, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Every temptation we, had, we will face is common. It's common. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Okay? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The question is, am I relying on his power? Am I in his presence when I go through this? Or I'm just trying to do it on my own? Because if you're trying to do it on your own, if I'm trying to do it on my own, I can't endure it. I will not succeed. My selfishness will take over. I will listen to the lies of the enemy. And I will choose wrongly. It can be hard, but he will always be with us. And we will recognize it as we practice the presence of God. The ultimate way in the wilderness was eventually proclaimed by John the Baptist. Um, One who will come after me, he said. Luke 3.16 I want to quote him. John answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And who is he referring to? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So, If you're not familiar with your Bibles and you go back to the last third, you'll come to the New Testament and you'll come across the book of Matthew and the book of Mark and the book of Luke, and then it's the book of John. Find chapter 4. And I tried to shorten this, but I just couldn't pull it off. There's just too much good stuff here. Now, uh, chapter 4, book of John, starting in verse 4. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, he's already sent all the disciples in after food. They're gone. Jesus is there by himself. He's like hanging out at the well by himself. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus goes up to her and speaks to her. Will you give me a drink, he said. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
whoa, 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 right? Wait, you, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Never mind the fact that he's a man and she's a woman. And how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Interesting response. I mean, if I were her, I'd be going, huh? What, what do you mean by that, sir? The woman said, she's, she's tracking. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? I mean, she's definitely intrigued. Who wouldn't want living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, she asked, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, now she's, she's got the hook. Give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's thinking physical. Obviously, Jesus is talking spiritual. He told her, go call your husband and come back. That's a loaded question, isn't it? Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus was offering living water. And then in verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I mean, wait, how does this guy know these things about me? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. We are in that day. We don't have to go to a mountain. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can do it sitting right here. You can do it sitting wherever you are in the course of your day. God is spirit. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true... I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, and boy does Jesus know, right? For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the, in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit, capital S, and in truth, the woman said. I know that Messiah. I know that Messiah. I know that name called the Christ. I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Could you imagine being her? I wonder if she was sitting down. I'm surprised she didn't fall into the well when Jesus said this. And the, the question is, did, did she, was she ready to receive it? I, Jesus declared, the one speaking to you. I am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. 
You see, Jesus reaches out to us even in our sin. This woman was, her life was a wreck. It was a mess. And Jesus was the one who started the conversation with her. I mean, for a man who was likely alone to talk to a woman was a cultural no-no, and to top that off, she was a Samaritan woman. They didn't, it's water and oil. They didn't mix. They didn't talk to each other. And to add even an even further layer to the scenario was the fact that she was living in sin. The Pharisees, the, oh man, if the Pharisees had been here to, to observe this, what would they be saying about Jesus? He's talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a woman. He's talking to a sinner. <gasps> he can't be the Christ. No, he is the Christ. <laughs> and we need him. And we need him. Didn't stop Jesus. Do, do your terrible, do our terrible decisions and disobedient acts keep Jesus from reaching out to us? No. No. This is, this is why I'm... This is why I'm saying that we can practice being in the presence of God every day, even when the enemy is, is trying to condemn us and trying to discourage us, because Jesus is reaching out. We, we see it over and over and over again in the, in the New Testament. Jesus is reaching out to sinners. That's you. That's me. In fact, when we have made a stupid decision and a poor decision and our sin is weighing on our shoulders, that's when we more than any other time, should drink the living water. Should put ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, of course, need to realize that we are sinners. It is disobedience towards God. And in practicing that presence, humble ourselves before him and acknowledge our sin. And that, that we are altogether deserving of contempt. We are altogether unworthy of the name of Christ, prone to all manner of trouble, and subject to countless infirmities, problems, struggles. But in that truth, it is necessary then that God correct and discipline us so that we come before him with a humble and contrite heart. We must be convinced that God's discipline is indeed good for us, which it is. And it will always be perfect, and it will always be exactly what we need. The question is, will we respond to it? The woman at the well was living a terrible life. She was a long way down the road of a string of bad decisions, and she was surprised that Jesus would talk to her. But her past didn't stop him. And we need to remember that. Our past doesn't stop Jesus from reaching out to us. And the enemy wants us to think that he will, but that's a bold-faced lie coming straight from the, from the mouth of the father of lies. He wants us to cleave and not leave our past and our bad decisions, and he will continually assault us and our efforts to draw near to God. He will, he will accuse, he will try to discourage, he will try to hurt us. It may seem impossible to walk with Jesus on a moment-to-moment -moment daily basis, but the more we do, the more natural it will become. It really will. And we can, because God so loved the world. While we were yet sinners, that's us. And Jesus loves us so much to leave us the same. He loves us too much to leave us the same. 
because of the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that we receive through our relationship with him, Jesus reaches out to us even in our sin. And, and we need to remember that Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. Jesus opened the door for us. The woman at the well, she was changed. Um, she was in the very presence of the Messiah, face to face. And what happened? She was changed. In fact, her entire town was changed. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I, the one, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, and, and it has been and, and has, he has been at that ever since. He is speaking to us. He is the one. We all have direct access to God. She goes back to, to tell the people that she knows in her town and what happens. They all come out to hear Jesus. And their lives are changed. I don't know if you were at the baptism on su last Sunday morning or not, but there was a gentleman that came at the end of, of our baptism, because uh, I said, is there anybody else here who would like to be baptized? And this guy comes into the water. His name is, is Jacob Zeller, and, and uh, he's not from here. He's from another place in Wyoming. And, and uh, Daryl and Leela had a conversation with him after, after the, the, the baptism. He, he, did, did you notice what it was like when he came up out of the water? I mean, did you feel it? I did. I mean, when he hugged me, it was, it, it was, it was a special moment. Um, he was on his way home, wasn't feeling well, stopped at the Lingle Park. He was napping in the shade behind the bandshell, woke up when the, when the sermon started, listened all the way through, um, was convicted of some things in his life, stood there, he, he waited while we were waiting to get the doors open. I mean, that could have been an, an attempt of the enemy to dissuade him to leave. Ah, it's going to take too long. I need to get on the road. He didn't. He stayed. He came in. In front of a group of people who he knew no one, not one person, he walks into the water, and, and he told Leela, he said, I, for years, I, I know he's, he's in a church in the town that he's in. He, he has a pastor. He... he but he said, for years, I've, I've thought that I need to be baptized, I should be baptized, and I've always put it off. <laughs> Until Sunday morning. Now, in their conversation, you know, he's struggling with some sin. But that didn't stop God from saying, hey, I think you have a stomach ache. I think you need to stop. I think you need to listen. And he did. And, and we got to be a part of, uh, we, we got to be a stepping stone in his spiritual journey. And, and the presence of God showed up. We have access to that presence every day. Water for our dry and thirsty souls. The, the only question remaining for today is, are we willing to take the risk to take the steps to walk and live our lives every day, every moment, in his presence. Because number three, Jesus makes living in the presence of God possible. He did all of that. 
And when he ascended into the heaven, when Jesus ascended into the heaven, into heaven, what did he say? I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send one to you. I'm leaving, but I'm not gonna leave you alone. And the Holy Spirit comes onto the scene, and the Holy Spirit has been here teaching and, and giving guidance and, and counsel and power ever since that first moment with the disciples on Pentecost. And, and I, can, I, I want to acknowledge right now that, that I do not and, and can't even begin to understand how and when and why the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. Um, I've read... I've read books, and I've heard testimonies from people who have had some pretty incredible experiences. I mean, physical things. They've, they've, they've experienced healing, and, and they've seen rainbows where there shouldn't be rainbows, and, and where, where the presence of God seemed to be so palpable that people were drawn to it from all around. One, one person said that we were, we were driving down the road, and, and if I had just let go of the steering wheel of the car, I believe it would have turned and gone up your driveway. To this retreat center where, where there, there was the power of God was obviously present. The, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, um, there's dreams and visions, humility and brokenness. I mean, the, honestly, the, the, God created us and created this place. The possibilities are limitless. Now, in light of that, Scripture does tell us that we are to test the spirits. Um, in in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Did I put this up? Okay. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Hmm. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. As we lay open our lives before God and we look for and live in his presence every moment of every day, I fully believe that the enemy will do whatever he can to pretend to be God speaking to us. We just have to be discerning. We have to be careful. But that must not make us afraid to learn and grow in the presence of God. There, there were things about being married that made me nervous. I mean, um, when I was thinking about sur surrendering, committing my life to, to, to Sarah, what, what if she changed her mind? What if she, she realized that, that, you know, she didn't like me after all? I mean, we ask all of those what-if questions. We ask those questions. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? Yes, there will be challenges as we open up our hearts and lives to the Holy Spirit and we seek to grow in how we relate to Him and how we practice being in the presence of God. That is why we must trust Him. That is why we spend time getting to know Him, reading God's love letter to us, His revelation to us, asking him questions just like we would a friend or a spouse. 
listening to him and taking time to quiet our souls and our hearts before him so that we can hear him. I think that's one of the hardest things to do in our culture today because every one of us has a device and, and we, you know, you go out to the garage to work on a car, you, you Bluetooth your phone to a speaker and you listen to music while you work on the car. Why not just maybe spend some time quietly maybe asking God to speak to you while you're working on that car? As, you're, as, we, as you drive down the road, some of you put a lot of miles on a vehicle why not, maybe not all, but why not spend part of that time, you know, maybe early in the morning. This morning when I got up, it was still dark, well, kind of dark. The, the moon was almost like the sun. And there was a light over here in, in this sky, and I, am, I didn't get my phone out to see what it was. I, I'm sure it, it was a planet. Man, it was bright. It, it could have been a helicopter just on the other side of this hill that I was coming from, but it was, and the, the stars were just, it's like, God, you, as I'm driving over here from Guernsey Lake this morning, God, you made all of this. And just to be in, in his presence in that moment, because he's there. Why not drink then? Trust that he will speak to you. And when he does, don't freak out. Now, I've, 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 I asked God to speak to me audibly for about a month one time, and he didn't do it. I, I believed that I just wanted to hear his voice. Well, obviously, he didn't want me to hear him, at least upon that request, in that way. Do I think of him any less? No. I mean, I can't make him do what I want. We need to rely on him for wisdom in making decisions and, and his power when we need strength to stand against something or for something. And you know what? Don't be afraid if you get the sense to lie on the floor before God, to raise your arms in worship, to bow your head, to kneel Let's open our hearts and our minds. Let's surrender and submit everything. I'm gonna, like I said, we're going to expand on some of these thoughts over the next five weeks, and, and I hope that you'll, you'll join us, and I hope that I, I, I maybe intrigued you enough. Maybe you're like, well, I'm never going back there again, but um, I hope that's not the case. Um, I, I read from, from one of the authors who was sharing many stories about his and many other people's encounters with the Holy Spirit, and, and they were amazing. I'm telling you, amazing. Okay, and I talked to one person just a few days ago who was reading the same book who was like, I, I don't know if I believe those stories. And, I, and I, I said to him, are you saying that simply because you've never experienced something like that? Because generally we say that. I've never experienced that before. I, I've never seen that before, so it must not have happened. Um, I... I mean, we are talking about an all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present sovereign God, are we not? I mean, if God wanted to light your hair on fire right now, he could do it. And we would find some other reason why that happened. Sometimes the work of God happens that way. I mean, he created the universe and all 
everything that is in it. He gave us the very breath that we have. Nothing he could do or even would do should ever surprise me. Cause me to worship? Yes. Cause me to fall on my knees in awe? Yes. Cause me to be in awe and wonder of his great works? Yes. Now, the author of that book that I read said this, and I appreciate some of the things that he says as he's telling these stories, and I think it's very important going forward. This is what he said. Um, This is Roy Goodwin from the book called, uh, titled The Grace Outpouring. This is what he said. I don't put huge value on these astonishing events, and part of me is a little wary of even telling the stories. I think it's interesting that sometimes we see the worked out physical activities of God with people. It can encourage our faith, but our faith isn't in those things. We are seeking his face not his manifestations. That's important. As we go through this series, we need to seek the face of Jesus, not what we think or what we hope that he could do or how he could manifest himself or, or whatever. That's not, that's not what we should do. He says, if manifestations come, we bless God and we praise him. If they're not there, we don't worry for a moment. What we must have is his presence. We don't want people to be looking for manifestations. We just want them to look for Jesus. And then a quote from Brother Lawrence, All things are possible to him who believes. They are less difficult to him who hopes. They are easier to him who loves, and still more easy to him who practices and perseveres in these three virtues. And then we come before the communion table this morning. 